Hi guys, and welcome to the very first episode of the Data Leadership Podcast. Uh, my name's Rich, um, and I'm joined today by Simon Gray. Um, the, the, the idea of this podcast is to really have a chat with, with some of the most experienced and respected data leaders across the North and the Midlands, um, and really just try and gain some insight from these guys. So we're really excited to get started on this. Um, and I think best place to start, Simon, is just maybe a little bit about your background. Sure. Okay. Well, thanks for uh, inviting me to take part, Rich. It's, uh, it's a bit of a privilege. Uh, the first one of these I've done. So background for me, uh, so I've been knocking around in data for getting on for 40 years now. Um, I suppose it comes in three phases. I spent my early career in telecoms, um, the middle of it, I suppose, doing startups and towards the end, more in the way of consultancy or consulting type arrangements. Um, <clears throat> so I started in British Telecom or it's called British Telecom now. It was Post Office Telecommunications when I started. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was no data team as such back then. Uh, we were still using pen and paper. Uh, if you were lucky, you had an electronic calculator. So the big <laughs> buzz was that there were, um, you know, there were microchips in things and that was the big technology. Um, I, I got a microchip inside a ZX81. Uh, it was a fabulous little computer, tiny little thing, not as small as my, my, my iPhone is now, but you can, uh, you, know, you know, the sort of thing <laughs> I mean. It got me introduced to computers and I spent Christmas that year after making this up from a kit, learning basic. Uh, I went back to work and was tapped on the shoulder. We hear you're good with computers. Yeah, that'll be me. Um, can you come and build us uh, some accounting and budgeting systems? Sure. What's a budget? You know, so um, it was a it was a right back at the beginnings of computers being useful in business. It was so obvious to me this was where business was going to go. Um, so I was quite privileged in BT. I did twelve different jobs in ten years, uh, <laughs> many of them using that kind of computing experience. So I got to play with uh, you know mainframes and build systems from scratch and implement systems all over the place. Uh, fabulous training ground but I have to say after about 10 years um, I would pretty much got to where I wanted to get to in BT I thought it was going to take me my whole career so I moved on into cable TV and cable TV and telecoms and internet startups became huge users of data so this is where I first started to get into the larger scale stuff. So uh, my introduction to appliances for data, for instance, came from working with what's now Virgin Media, was then NTL. Um, and we bought some really large uh, data appliances to play with. And they were remarkable. They changed uh, what you could do with data, especially keeping score of things like um, phone call records and so on from uh, the sort of thing that was going to be really stretching and difficult to do in summary to the kind of thing where you could look at individual calls and you could collect together what customers were doing and that was really interesting so a breakthrough in terms of not anymore just looking at what history is but looking at what that's telling you about how people are behaving um, and I suppose the uh, you know, after doing some startups I've got, I've got luckily involved in doing some uh, internet startups uh, in particular, the first generation of Virgin Net, uh, which I went down to Wales to work with some guys on. 
and uh, also NTL World, um, which was uh, the first ever completely free internet service as long as you had NTL's telephone service. Oh, nice. Um, uh, so that, that was great. Now, after that, after all of that, I went into consulting. Is it's a huge amount of experience uh, that you gain from being in a big, dis uh, big industry, uh, and then getting in it as a startup and seeing it build into something that's competing with that original big industry. Um, and I'd learned a lot about how data could be used to help organizations. So I went out then to go and, and find ways to you know, consult with organizations to help them get successful implementations of business intelligence, uh, which was still relatively rare. A lot of money has been spent over the last 25 years on BI that hasn't necessarily always worked. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's, that's it, isn't it? Um, you, you would have seen over the years the, the, the crazy transformation from, you know, not just storing a load of useless data, but actually, hang on, what can we do with it? And, you know, possibilities are endless. And I think for, for you to get stuck into some of that stuff while it was happening must have been quite, um, quite interesting yeah. to lose. So it starts, I think, uh, very much as a let's keep score. I mean, you have to keep records anyway, and you, and you have to um, digitize uh, in that early uh, way of thinking about digitalization with digital switches and digital television. You have to digitize because you can't operate a national telecom company uh, without being automated. So you have to store enough data to automate everything and to bill everything. And it starts really with let's keep score and let's use that to help us with the accounting. So your early BI is very much um, a hyper spreadsheet, just a way to take tons and tons of data and crunch it down into summaries that will help you understand how your business is performing. And I think that's the traditional old MI, if you like, the way that people have used data right up until you know, maybe 20 or 25 years ago, when it started to become obvious that actually if you knew how many phone calls there had been, you could understand something about what was motivating people to do things in a particular way. So I can remember working for the first time on trying to understand why telephone calls were in decline. Um, and of course, you know, to the people that are used to thinking with their gut, it was obvious. Well, there are other ways of getting in touch now and mobile devices have happened and so on. But actually a really close look at what was going on with that particular uh, operator showed that the decline was actually in two areas and one of them was internet calls it was still dial-up in those days <laughs> and the other was mobile and not mobile was um international calls so international calls were just priced too high so people were abandoning it and going elsewhere for that so um it was then fairly easy to put together some suggestions about how you could reverse that and actually they had all the right pricing and products available but they weren't pushing them to the right people in the right way so there's a start to um you know what's the next best thing you can do now that you know so much about what's going on in your network so those are fascinating sort of tilt from historic to um i suppose you know uh, diagnosing what's wrong and then proposing what you might be able to do about it well i I imagine that sort of change, that sort of shift in, in, in mindset and approach saved a ridiculous amount of time and resource, surely, um, within those industries um, that, like you say, were very archaic, very historic in terms of how they approached it. Yeah, absolutely. So you couldn't operate that business without, without having command of data and, and automation. So that tends to be where the focus goes. 
And, I, and again, I would say that um, the majority of effort went into how can we be more efficient in the early days. Um, efficiency is great because you can measure it very easily. If stuff gets cheaper, you're more efficient as long as you're doing at least as much work as you were before. I mean, um, and that's, that's an area where even today, people seem to start thinking about where do I go with my MI and my BI? So how do we become more efficient? I would say I think that's probably an error uh, because the, the, the most you can save is a fraction of what you're already spending. <laughs> the way to be looking at it is how do I do better business with more people? <laughs> because the sky's the limit there. So really effectiveness is where the focus needs to go. And I think it has shifted very much in that, that sort of direction. So today, really, when you're doing BI, it's more about optimization. Um, it's more about uh, supporting relationships that you're having and about developing propositions and about modifying product, uh, about making a customer journey uh, properly effective. So I always tend these days to start with, let's be effective before we try to be efficient. Uh, once you know you're doing the right thing, then try to do it right. And that'll be the efficiency phase that comes next. Um, and then on top of that, be a bit more agile. So you're not going to get any benefits unless you're prepared to change and prepared to use what you learn and what you discover to help you shift what you're going to do next. So um, you know, that, that's a, a crucial learning is get into what am I going to do with this? And I suppose the last thing after agility would be what risks can I manage better now that I know what's really happening? Um, so those would be the four key areas. It's efficiency, effectiveness, agility, and then risk management would be the things I go after. Yeah, I think I think that's a real real good summary to be honest. And I think um, I think you mentioned the the sort of customer journey, and I think that has to be so huge within any sort of industry that's dealing with you know a customer base. It's all about that cat uh, that sort of customer experience. So how how can we improve that? How can we put the right products in front of them, like you said, and yeah. you know through the use of data, these, these crazy amounts of data that have been built over the years. Obviously, that that can be achieved, and uh, I, I think it's exciting to sort of see what can happen next. Really, um, I mean, you've obviously moved away from those industries now, but do, I don't know if you've still got your ear to the ground in terms of what what's going on the, these days <laughs> in terms of future projects. Well, I, I guess that the bigger business, this stuff's pretty much become old hat. So, you know, what's the next best action to take when a customer contacts you? Um, and of course, things are shifting so massively because contact used to be somebody rang you up. Um, so it was easy in the early days because if somebody rang you up in a telco, it was to complain. <laughs> Not very many people ring you up and say, great bill, really enjoyed getting that this month. Um, uh, so you know, pretty much it was about complaints. So the nice thing about that is a simple measure. How many times has this person called us uh, over the last three months? It's a really good measure of how dissatisfied somebody is. Um, so you can use that immediately so that you know that when you get another call from them, the odds are they're going to be dissatisfied because you've had a lot of calls. Um, you could also do things like looking at, well, what are we charging them for their services? But you bring those two bits of data together. Um, so am I satisfied or not? What are we charging you for your services? Is that competitive in the market? So now you get a call from them. It's like, well, it's pretty obvious that we're a bit on the pricey side. We can do something about that. And we may have, you know, we may not have helped them out as much as we need to. So maybe we need to do something about that as well. 
problems and they have a strategy for how you can answer the call and deal with the customer. Now all of that translates when you move from a phone call to the sort of multitude of channels that you can talk to people through now. Yeah, and I mean, you know, it's also when when you find that sort of insight, I suppose, and, and, and a way to, to, to action that to improve the business, it's, it's then how does the business actually sort of adopt that as well? Because I think whether it's data literacy or whether it's, you know, just working with a business, especially at a large scale to get people to change based on data, it's, it's one of the biggest, surely one of the biggest challenges that, that you yeah, end up facing. I think so. I mean, the hard thing is making it simple for lots of people that are handling those conversations for you. Um, so, you know, you, you don't get the chance to have as a chief executive, a good conversation with every one of your many millions of customers. So you delegate that to other people. Uh, and there's a lot, a, a lot of humor around, you know, how, uh, what's your experience like when you call, for instance, BT Broadband's telephone line, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, a lot of which is uh, not necessarily, uh, you know, really earned. <laughs> so, um, you don't have that opportunity to, to, to conduct every phone call in the way that you personally feel you would want to do that. So you've got to find ways to help thousands of other people to handle those phone calls for you uh, or those other contacts for you and to deal with them in a really meaningful and, and useful kind of a way that is um, relationship enhancing for the customer rather than simply closing them off or simply answering their question. Um, and while you're busy enhancing the relationship, if you uh, get, a, get to a great state with a customer, the odds are that you've improved the amount of time that they're going to spend taking their services from you. So a really good, simple measure of all of that is, what have I done to the lifetime value of this customer relationship? Um, and if you stack every single customer's lifetime value on, on top of another, you've got a measure that you can use of, are we going forwards or are we going backwards in general in terms of the amount of value that we generate for our customers in these relationships? So customer lifetime value, a very, very good way of being able to summarise. Is it going in the right direction? Are we doing the right things? Yeah, 100%. And I think what you've touched upon there a few times is, is keeping things simple. There's, a, I think there's a, I don't know, there's a, a sort of go-to to make things complicated and complex because maybe it, you know it seems like the exciting thing to do when in reality things tend to work best when they're, they're kept simple. Yeah I think that's true and if, if you keep things simple you've got to think about who you're doing it for. Mm. Um, so are you doing it for your agent or are you doing it for your customer? Um, the other thing is I suppose that you've got ultimately to get to a point where you make a decision on something and decide to act on it. So um, that's great. These days, you know, machines are doing an awful lot of that work. So um, you, know, you don't actually need to wait for a customer to call you up anymore. You can preemptively notice that perhaps you've done something that's not going to satisfy them. Perhaps you're a little bit more expensive than the market and go out to them with the right decision without ever having to involve a person in that. Um, the, the difficulty is that lots of businesses don't want to do something which effectively hurts them but I think you know, do it to yourself before someone else does it to you because your competitors out there looking at it. Mm -hmm. what, what do you mean by sort of hurts them sorry in terms of... The... So um, if you were for instance to notice that you're charging uh, more for your loyal customers to your loyal customers than you're charging to your new customers uh, a lot of your loyal customers are going to stop being loyal they'll know too um, you're probably in a position where you know more about 
what your relationship with them is about than the customer does. So you know more about how they're using their service because you're measuring it. Um, you know more about how your price stands against competition because you set your price, <laughs> knowing all of that. So there are, the, there are all these things that you know more about. You owe it to your customer if you want to keep them, if you want them to, to feel like they're being treated as loyal, to use all of that for the benefit of the customer. It's an expression I heard a, quite a long time ago, um, probably 10 or 12 years ago, that, that resonated with me. It was a bit cheesy at the time, but I think it stood the test of time, and that was don't think of um, analytics as something you do to your customer. Think of it as something you do for your customer. Um, and as glib as it is, it's kind of true. <laughs> yeah, definitely it is. Of course it is. And I mean, if you're using it in the right way, it can make a massive difference on, on business success and, and customer loyalty and retention and, and bits like that, which I'm pretty sure the big, some of the biggest industries for that have to be, you know, your telecoms and, um, uh, and bits like that, you know, yeah. Yeah. So telecoms, utilities, uh, anybody who's got a relationship with a customer where you know who they are. So you've probably got a contractual arrangement with a customer that stands over time. Um, for the sort of uh, business that is dealing with you on a uh, as and when you feel like it basis, uh, obviously things are a little bit different. So if you're outside of that contractual setting, then understanding what your lifetime value is like requires you to do quite a lot more than just say so many more months at the sort of money that we're making from you now. It's not, it's not quite that straightforward. So, um, so at that stage, of course, you've got to get into something which is predicting uh, based on everything you know, what's the likelihood that this customer is coming back to shop with us again? Um, and that's really useful uh, up until you get a pandemic. <laughs> and then, of course, you haven't got a history of pandemics to go back and look at to say, well, what's going to happen next? So there's been a lot of surprise um, in, in what's happened just recently. Uh, and it's it's shown how actually as bright as all this stuff is, it isn't a crystal ball. It is just using uh, appropriate algorithms to make determinations about what's probable for the future. It, this is it. It's not a, you know, this will give you the absolute answer. It will give you the, uh, you know, that golden sort of nugget of information. It's actually, look, this will guide better decision making. It'll, it'll help the business make better decisions based off data. Um, no, I think, I think that's really good. I think it would be, what, what I'm always interested to hear about when, when speaking to, to data leaders really is, what you know what challenges are they facing um it's different for different people but it does tend to be some common trends coming through and it would be interesting across your your career what what, what are the biggest challenges you've faced um <clears throat> so i think uh, you know the big challenges that we look at now and some of these are, are true over the last you know 30 years as well uh, rate of change is is probably right up there at the top there are so many ways to skin this cat, uh, and there are so many people with technologies for doing it. It's like, where do you start? You know, do you, do you still do it in house, or do you go out into the cloud? Um, do you buy it as a service, or do you, you know, what, what's what's the right answer? And you know, they all kind of work. <laughs> um, the, the way to get away from this distraction, if you like, is that don't worry too much about it. Use something that's good enough. Um, and over time, you'll find something which is good enough and cheap enough um, because it's not going to be the technology 
that is the make or break on whatever it is you're trying to do with data. Uh, it, it's going to be how much are you using data in a way which is uh, actually going to create some change in your business that's beneficial to you. So don't sweat the technology. But nevertheless, you know, when something like Google BigQuery comes along and it blows away the kind of performance that you thought was astounding that you used to get from appliances, that's a big change and you've got to, got to deal with it. And when you get into a, you know, rent it for as long as you need it, uh, buy it by the compute cycle or buy it by the hour or whatever else. Um, stand up your data warehouse from all the data you've got sat around somewhere, do your calcs and throw it away. Uh, these, are, these are ideas that are becoming much more mainstream but were astounding to us in the early days when you were still trying to do stuff with SQL Server or Oracle or you know, with an appliance or whatever else. So there's been a lot of change. So I think rate of change in the technology in particular, but rate of change also in the way that, that uh, the applications for data are moving ahead. Um, uh, so that, that's, that I suppose I would put at the top of my list of really big challenges. Um, second challenge, and I've, I've experienced this, and I think we will experience it as an industry for a long time, is how do you find good people and how do you retain them? <laughs> yeah, so there you go. If, if people know how to do that. <laughs> so, um, so, so I've fallen into your trap now, James. So, so, so how do you find and how do you retain great people? And, and they, they are two sides of the same coin. And I'm not thinking so much about I want to pay this person a bit more because I need to keep them. Uh, thinking more about people want to be challenged and they want to experience great stuff and new stuff and better stuff. And uh, the kind of people that are really good have two things that I think are, are common traits. One of them is they learn really fast. So the new tech's not an issue for them. Uh, and the other is they put their mind in where the business is going, not necessarily in where the tech is. The tech is a means to that end for the business. So finding people who are bright enough and motivated to think about how do I make this business perform better? What process is it that I'm trying to make easier? What customer journey am I trying to make easier? People who do that instinctively, so they want to do that and they're good with tech. That's the challenge in finding good people. It's not about tick the box for SQL or tick the box for Data Lake or any of the other things. It's how do you think when you've got all that stuff at your disposal? <laughs> and then retention is get people to um, you know, explore and experience all of this stuff, as well as making sure that you reward people that are, um, are, are best to hang on to. Because somebody else will if you don't. Yeah, I think that's very, I think that's a really good point. I think one of the hardest things when hiring um, data professionals at the moment, but tech professionals as a whole is finding people that are not only technical and can do the tech stuff, but actually can they, can they talk to a business? Can they understand the requirements of that business? Um, can they understand how the work they do in data and the, the clever stuff that they do? How does that actually impact business and can they translate that? Um, and I think, you know, the guys that can do that well, um, obviously do very well as a career because I think it's almost common practice now. I think it's expected. It's no longer a nice to have. This is, you know, this is, you need to have this. Um, and it's, it's quite hard to assess that sometimes, I think, when interviewing yeah. like that as well. Um, how, how do you go about assessing that? <laughs> <laughs> 
So I, I, when I'm interviewing, I will ask a small number of competency-based questions just to get a sense that somebody is reasonably current and that they uh, um, you know, have used technologies in a, in a meaningful way. Um, but I've got a small list of, of favorite questions for sort of probing intelligence. You know, it's the, the, the bottomless pit kind of question where you get into something with somebody and you're not, there are no really right answers and wrong answers. It's more about discovering where does this person give up? Or where does this person throw their hands in the air? Or don't they? Have they always got something extra to say? You know, when do you feel like you're scraping the barrel? Um, and if you don't get to that, which is quite rare, quite often people will reach the point where they've sort of, I've got nothing else to add now, you know. <laughs> um, when, you, when you get to those really special people who can keep on developing an idea or will throw away everything they've said so far and start again on a different tack, those are the people you're looking for. How do I apply my intelligence and what I do know to the situations I don't know so that I'm flexible enough to come at this with an open mind? and uh, with a problem solving or a problem framing uh, state of mind. Uh, so that's, that's the essence of what I think I would look for when I'm looking for people. Oh, they're rare. <laughs> yeah, well, well, that's it. What, what, what I would say is I speak to a lot of grads, I speak to a lot of junior individuals, and I must admit over the seven or so years I've been doing this, that people do seem to be adopting that mindset more and more. And I don't know whether it comes from an educational point, maybe it is, put more emphasis on that during the courses and stuff like that that yeah. maybe it may be possible yeah. i think it is um so i i came to data through accounting so very much you know the scorekeeper if you like um but the sexy end of accounting isn't the um isn't the tax and the uh you know, and the yearly and you know, the annual uh, reporting and so on sexy end is the management accounting it's the what mm. does what do these numbers tell us about how we're doing as a business um so for me, the development was, well, let's stop looking at what it looks like in summary and let's start looking at what it looks like in detail. So on the, uh, you know, on the appliances, um, we were able to say, well, look, we can go to this not by department, but by customer. And it'll be a thousand times as much data, but only actually one extra column, which is the customer number. So um, this was a really fascinating thing to do. And that gets you then into how much money are you or how much value are you generating for, for, for customers. Um, these days, I think the journey is more through marketing. So the, you know, the, the digital arena is about customer relationship and how you relate to the customer and what your journey is like. So I think that's more likely to be the starting point now. And so that sets you off straight away into a, What's the business imperative here? Well, it's to get a conversion out of a contact or it's to get some consideration where somebody was just randomly searching. Um, so, so I think there is a shift in the way that the, the education is working towards that. But also, of course, the internet happened in between me becoming uh, you know, <laughs> somebody who works in accounts and the world, the world as it is today. <laughs> so there's a lot of, lot of change again. I think you're right as well, you know, it's not only finding those individuals, it's them retaining them. And I think as a data leader, you know, it's one of the biggest concerns. It's, you know, how do we keep people when we get them like that? And yes, you can create a nice environment and stuff like that, but there is much more to it. And I think that has to be high on the priority list in, in terms yeah. of the sort of challenges faced. So, um, so I would just go down challenges. I think that the two challenges so far have been uh, a lot about you know as a as a business or an employer what's it like 
you know, what are the challenges for you? Here's a challenge for the individuals, the you know, people who are the aspiring new leaders in data. It is, you know, how, how do you find a client or an employer who's going to offer you the right kind of opportunity and be in the right environment for you? Somebody who actually gets that it's not all about um, just you know, recording the data and summing it and giving them a report at the end of the day or a pretty chart, but about you know, the brainstorming about what are the opportunities this offers to us? What could we do differently now that we can do this? How are our competitors doing this and what should we be doing as well? Um, so, so I think there is a, an immense challenge in discovering whether your prospective employer or prospective client is actually serious about wanting to do data. I think, I think that's a difficult thing, right? It's, um, it's, you know, is there too much red tape? Are your hands tied? You want to do all these great things that you're learning about in your self-development, but are you in the right organization that you're ever going to be able to do something like that? And I think that is a big question that a lot of leaders ask themselves. Um, and it's an important one because, you know, there's only so many years you're going to be doing this. It's you want to be in the right organization where you're going to push yourself. You're going to be at the cutting edge of this easier said than done, because like you say, you could, if you're not in the right organization, it's, it can sometimes be hard to leave as well. But I don't know whether you thought that during your career as well. It, it, have you asked yourself that question as well? Um, <clears throat> I asked myself the question about whether I'm with the right employer. I think I have. I mean, I've, I've moved on from um, BT, for instance, after about 10 years because I felt I wasn't with the right employer. So the, mm -hmm. you know, the opportunity to move in a, in a business that's existed for forever um, <laughs> uh, and isn't necessarily you know, thinking hard enough about what the future holds. And then going to a competitor, which at the time was cable TV, and getting right in as one of the uh, foundational uh, employees of the company and developing from nowhere. I mean, you, startups are brilliant. You know, you, you, you never go away from your day at a startup wondering if what you did today was worthwhile because the odds uh -huh. are it wasn't going to happen unless you did it. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's tremendously rewarding. It's relatively high risk because, you know, you, you've actually got to get your finger out and be brave and do stuff. <laughs> And I, um, I think it's not for everyone. Yeah, I think it's not for everyone, and you've got to decide what what type of leader you want to be and, and what yeah. environment you want to work in. Um, I mean, to solve that, is it just asking the right questions? Is it doing your own sort of marketing and search in terms of to find that organisation for you? Yeah, I mean, so so all of those things, yes, absolutely, and and of course, those are the sorts of things are the sorts of questions you want to ask when you're when you're meeting the new employer. Um, but there's, a, there's another step beyond that, I suppose, which is you know, be, be ready to cut your losses. If you're not getting somewhere, you're not getting where you need to go in a role that you've got now, find another one because there are other roles out there. Um, and there are people who want you to be uh, thoughtful and imaginative and brave and all those other things that separate you from the guy who just toes the line or just uses the tech we've got today. I don't want somebody who knows how to use today's tech. I want the person who's going to be able to use tomorrow's tech when it arrives and nobody knows what it is yet. 
yeah. <laughs> and we'll be using it for the right reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think that's really important. I think, you know, in this day and age, people move jobs more often. There's more opportunities. It's not just you can work at two, three, four companies. Times have changed, and within data, you've got a ridiculous amount of companies that are investing and growing in data. So I, I would agree. I'd say cut your losses if, if you're not in the right organisation. Um, you know, reach out to people, seek opportunities. I think a big thing for data leaders sometimes is, you know, there's not many maybe advertised roles for data leaders. A lot of these are from who you know. And my advice would be, whether it's reaching out to a recruiter or whether it's um, actually doing your own networking is so key because those opportunities that aren't live yet, those opportunities that are opened up and created by yourself, um, those are the ones that can, can really push your career on. And um, I think that's what's exciting about working in data as a whole right now is just, just a huge opportunity. And I think for, for the people who are going to really grasp that, um, there, there, there are really exciting careers available for, for sure. Yeah. Um, I would say um, what, what I did want to find out, I suppose, is... Um, Maybe if you could go back to the start of your career, if you can <laughs> think, back, think back to this, um, you know, what advice would you give a, a younger sort of Simon, knowing what you know now? Ah, <laughs> uh, well, uh, I, I suppose I would say that data is probably my second um, favourite place to be. The best thing for me to have done would have been to have got into music. Uh, and um, pursue that harder. I think the technology around music has become fascinating too. So I'd have loved to have done that and music would have been my first love. And so, so go back and do what you really, really want to do uh, would be my, yeah. my first advice. But given that that isn't what I did, what advice would I give myself <laughs> going down this, this particular route? Um, things I wish I'd known back then are things like you can't map it out you know you can plan all you like by all means have goals and have places that you want to want to go and things you want to do but it's going to change faster than you are <laughs> you know you're going to find that that stuff's moved on and that your attitude to it shifts as you as you mature as well so all these things are um, you know, imponderable to some extent I've done jobs that not only didn't exist when I started work, but nobody could have contemplated what would it be like to have a job like that? What would it be for? Business intelligence, billions of those a day, what, what for? Yeah. And um, so it would have been impossible to think about that. Um, yeah, so I think that's probably, uh, that, that's probably the major bit. Um, Another piece would be keep up with it, you know, keep up with what's changing. Uh, startups are great because of that, because you, you know, you, you'll find um, that, that you've got scale to deal with. Uh, I'll give an example from, from my experience. Uh, when we started um, at NTL to support as a joint venture Virgin Net, we had about uh, 50 odd customers on the internet service. It grew to 500 very quickly, and then it grew to 5,000 very quickly, and things started to creak. And then it grew to 50,000 in a couple of weeks, and then it grew to 500,000 over a couple of months. So you, know, you, you suddenly find yourself facing challenges of scale that you didn't know you were going to be up against. And you have to find new ways to do things. And 
I remember we were very proud that as an organization, when we couldn't handle um, you know, customer uh, relationships through something we put together on Lotus Notes, that we went out to the internet and hunted down a proper customer relationship management system <laughs> and downloaded it and fired it up as a trial and then went back and bought it later. So, uh, so that, that was a good while ago. <laughs> uh, and these days, of course, you know, downloading stuff and, and having apps and buying stuff at a very low price and suddenly finding that you're, you're, you're buying it as a service, all pretty, pretty ordinary. But at the time, it was, wow, what an amazing thing the internet is. <laughs> well, I, th I think you, you touched on it there as well. It's just how you, you touched on it earlier about how fast things move. And, you know, how do you, I, I'm really interested in seeing how data leaders actually try and keep up with it. Because, I mean, I've got my own sources of information. I do my best to keep on top of it from a, a you know, a, a base level. But at the same time, you know, what, what do you use personally? Is it a mixture of things? I don't know, networking, <laughs> podcasts, uh, books, whatever it is. It's a difficult one. Um, I, I think um, by moving around a bit and by meeting people who've got challenges of their own, you get exposed to an awful lot more uh, variety than you would do if you stay in a role with an employer with a particular role uh, that, that is about doing the job today that you also did yesterday. So, um, you know, uh, the, the idea of supporting an application to me is all wrong. You know, I can't, I can't live with that. I, I have to make stuff. Um, <laughs> so I want to be doing something new. Uh, so, so, you know, in my career, I've built uh, with the help of a tremendous team of probably more than 300 people, uh, NTL World, a, 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 you know, an internet service. Uh, it's been an amazing thing. Well, I didn't want to run it. I didn't want to be anywhere near it after it worked. <laughs> so now what? What's the next new thing I can do? Um, so, so I like to like to change. And I think if you tell people that what you want is to make stuff and you need variety, the odds are that they'll they'll help you out with it. But if nobody knows, they sure as hell won't be helping you achieve it. <laughs> so I think there's a lot of it that comes from um, maintaining relationships with people who can help and, and will do if they know what you're what you're about and what you like as a person. Um, outside of that, yeah, you keep your ear to the ground. You, you know, you. I, I don't want to spend an awful lot of time with news and uh, crawling over websites, but I'll pick up on the occasional story, for instance, from LinkedIn, that yeah. gets to be quite interesting. Uh, over the years, I've um, my email accounts have become known to a large number of suppliers who send me <laughs> massive amounts of stuff every day for me to think about and it's just really sort of picking up on the odd ones that say the right thing uh, or yeah. slightly interesting um, and of course you know the stuff that that is most likely to make it for the next couple of years um, becomes mainstream ever so much faster now than it ever used to uh, so you don't have to wait 10 years to see if it succeeded you, know, you just have to wait until this time next year uh, and it's gone or, or it'll, it'll be best, you know. <laughs> um, so that, that's that. You know, it's hard to predict the future in all of this stuff. Really I think this is it and your question I get asked all the time is, you know, where should I focus my learning? Where, where should I, what, what languages, what, um, you know, what skill set, what's in demand? And the thing is, what's in demand now? could very well not be in demand six months a year down the line because something's new's come along. So it's, I think I don't envy <laughs> I don't envy a data professionals in 
with that side of things, for sure. I think you just got to go with your gut, haven't you, and, and go with what you enjoy. I think that's it, follow your passion, isn't it? Follow, follow what Absolutely. you enjoy doing. Yeah, but I had to wait for somebody to ignite a spark but and after that you have to fan the flames yourself as well <laughs> uh, but do something that you really enjoy and be prepared for it to be different um, uh, you know get you just have to go with some change and uh, adopt it there was a, a, a wonderful thing I, I'm, try, I'm trying to remember it I can't probably won't remember it right word for word but Douglas Adams had something to say on this which was I think up until you're 15 um, anything um, I've, I've, I've lost it completely. There's a, there's a <laughs> wonderful saying he has, which is, you know, you, you can adapt to anything up to a certain age. I think after mm -hmm. the age of 15 and up until you're 35, something new is kind of cool and you might be able to make a career in that. And after the age of 35, when things change, that's against the natural order of things. <laughs> <laughs> now, I wouldn't say it's 35. <laughs> I certainly never started to sort of get rooted into what I know um, at, at that sort of an age. But I get where he's coming from, you know. Um, but today, you know, younger people coming into things today are doing degrees in you know, games design and so on, which... You know, it feels like, well, you've got to go and become a games designer. Uh, well, no, not necessarily. You know, it's just it's all about learning a trade, which is stuff digital now. Um, <laughs> it's a massive change in the world. You know, I, I can still remember, as I said, um, working with pen and paper. Uh, and if you wanted to find stuff out, you know, you had to go hunting for it. And the world today is just awash with data and with knowledge. And everything is easy. There was no search when I was starting work. You know, it's uh, there was no search when I was starting in internet. It was still drill your way through a tree of interesting subjects and see if you get to something that you're looking for. You know, <clears throat> so um, you know, it, it's uh, it's a whole different world and uh, it moves. Yeah, I put a post. I put a post up about this recently about learning and how there's it's never been as readily available to learn about anything you're interested in regardless of the subject so you know it's no excuse really is it it's it's find the time and, and get it done but um but yeah i mean just just to end off um simon i know you're you're sort of in between contracts and bits like that at the moment so so, so you're you know you're you're looking for a bit of a, n a new gig so i mean what 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 sort of things are going to be of interest to you and how is how's best to get in touch with you if anyone's listening to this and, and, and could have something for you Sure. Um, <clears throat> so uh, I, I think my um, my line is really that I, I always start with what, what's the outcome for the business? Where, where are you trying to take this thing to? Um, over the years, that for me has been the single biggest failure point in all of the business intelligence initiatives I've ever seen. That people are not clear what it's for when they start, so they're not clear exactly how they're going to how they're going to adapt to it. So. So my angle is, okay, so you're going to do something, but why are you doing it first? When you're really clear about why you're doing it, are you truly committed to making the changes that are going to bring this about and, and make it possible? Um, because you might say you are, but we'll, we'll see. So that, that's really the kind of challenge we're looking for is somebody who knows where they're going or needs help finding out where they're going and needs to understand the scale of the challenge and th these are the things that i find most interesting in, in work so i'm the kind of guy who knows about the two steps before this process and knows about the next steps after this process and i want to join it up and understand what's happening as a result of doing doing the, doing the work you know yeah um, 
I think um, you know a lot of organisations right now need leadership within data. They need you know a lot of businesses are using data to not only survive this period but adapt and evolve. Um, and I think there's definitely opportunities. Opportunities. Yeah. So, so I think you know having figured out um, what what is it that we're up against here. The next thing for me is how do you make that interesting to everybody involved in it. It's uh, how do you inspire techies. Um, who love their data and love their stuff and want to try the latest stuff out. You know, how do you inspire a team like that to be thinking about, as a business, what are we trying to achieve here? What's the best way to, uh, to get at this? How do I um, move through the fact that this is going to take longer than they think it's going to and they want it tomorrow? You know, how, do you, how do you deal with all of those things? So again, the, uh, the, 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 the cover of sitting between a technical team and a management team and being able to say, it works like this guys you know of course they want a result now let's start drip feeding um how the you know how, how the project's moving along let's start getting some benefit out bit by bit and also um you know moving in the other direction so well it is going to take longer to get to the final story but we can deliver some stuff for you in the short run and make sure that it's all going in the right direction but a lot yeah. of companies you know, don't don't even have proper control of their data at the outset so relying on bad data is not, not a great way to start. Um, so that's another aspect that needs looking at. So the whole process that um, over the last 30 or more years, um, I've been able to kind of codify into a sensible approach to how do you go at this data. Um, so, so that's really you know, where I'm coming from, I guess. Um, yeah. So my angle is I'm always looking for exciting and worthy challenges that are in that kind of flavor. Uh, so if, if there are any of those really exciting or worthy challenges out there, that's what I'm interested in. Uh, so co contact is easy. That's uh, well, obviously LinkedIn is the, uh, is the is the is one of the ways these days. So I'm always there on LinkedIn. So I'm Simon.gray.linkedin at gmail.com on email as well. Um, but also uh, I, I do operate as Gray Consulting. So Simon at GrayConsulting.co.uk. So both of those addresses will come through to the same devices. <laughs> yeah, what, that's great. What I'll do is I'll post that um, alongside the video, maybe in the comments as well, so people will have that. But look, it's, it's been really great speaking to you, um, Simon. Uh, appreciate your time. And um, yeah, let, let's keep in touch. Okay. Well, thank you, Richard, for the opportunity. That's See you no soon. Problem.